what we should do to live a fulfilling life. And part of that is to contribute and to use our gifts and talents to make the world a better place. And there's there's no better feeling than that, than feeling like you're living on purpose, that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in order to, to help the people around you and, and help the world. That was Joe Morrison, and this is Guild Stories. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke, and father of five young people. And I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well. Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. So Joe Morrison is today's guest, um, and Joe has a a, a fascinating story in lots of different ways we could intro him. Um, I think that maybe the, the two most prominent kind of areas that we'll talk about today is Joe serves as the CEO and co-founder of Right to Breathe, Inc., and you can find them at right to the number two breathe.org, and we'll talk all about that. And then also, interestingly enough, Joe um, is a professional racer, and and he's actually in this moment, not when you'll hear this episode, but in this moment, on his way to a race in Indianapolis this weekend. So we're going to hear all about that as well. Um, but Joe, really thankful for your time and welcome to Guild Stories, my friend. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much, Justin, and, and really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish we were in person um, and because you and I haven't actually formally had the chance to meet. We got connected just for everybody's uh, benefit. We got connected through a mutual friend and fellow podcast guest and uh, Robert Holmes and Robert's an author. And we'll talk about that connection, too. But Robert, Robert got us connected and, and certainly grateful that he did. And you and I had one conversation. It's been a couple weeks now ago, and um, I was just really fascinated by the work you're up to both in the nonprofit space and the professional space and just the values that you live. And um, it was like, man, heck yeah, like our, our folks need to hear your story. So if you could just jump us like cannonball style into the deep end, man, like who are you? What are you up to? Kind of get, kind of give us a, a quick level set of your today reality and then we'll we'll trace you all the way back to the beginning, man. <laughs> so, so, yeah, interesting. Uh, I What I do in life are, are most of the things that that your parents would tell you you probably shouldn't do because there's not much future in it. <laughs> so the, the, the goal of being a professional race car driver is not is not something that's generally encouraged. But I was blessed to have two wonderful parents. Uh, Mom's still here alive and, and dad passed just in 2016. Uh, but but dad was a racer before I was born. So he that's really where I think I got my my love and passion for drag racing. So. This is my rookie year in, in the uh, National Hot Rod Association, NHRA. Uh, the top class is called Top Fuel, where cars accelerate from a uh, standing start at the starting line over 1,000 feet in four seconds to over 300 miles an hour. It's, it's almost incomprehensible, right? The car does zero to 100 miles an hour in eight-tenths of a second. So that's the, that's the exciting part of life. The, the mission part of life and, and really what I feel my, my purpose here is uh, as CEO of Right to Breathe. And, and again, that was started based on my dad's journey with COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So as I mentioned, dad was a racer before I was born. He gave it up when my brother and I were young because as a, as a plumber, you know, he, he couldn't afford to raise a, raise a family and drive a race car. So the, he gave up, you know, one of the things that he really loved in life to, to be a good dad and, and to, uh, and to to raise a family. So the challenge for me was growing up thinking it's, it's, it's good to be a good dad, but sometimes you got to give up what you love. Well, fortunately later in life, I was able to give that back to him when we were first starting to race when I was, I guess, in my, uh, early mid thirties, that's when dad was diagnosed with COPD. So it just seemed so unfair to me 
that this guy who had done so much for my brother and I, for my mom, for our family, that when he was able to do what he loved to do, that it was in a diminished capacity because he couldn't breathe. Um, and uh, we found out that he he had been diagnosed. He didn't, he didn't get diagnosed until he had already lost more than half of his lung function. And, and unfortunately, we found out that that was a common story. So that was the inspiration for starting Right to Breathe. We wanted to be able to help people get diagnosed with their lung problems early because once you're diagnosed, you can stop or slow the progression of it. And as a progressive, irreversible disease, once the damage is done, it's done and you can't get it back. So, so that's the mission of Right to Breathe, and that's really – what I feel my purpose is, is to inspire people living with lung disease to know that they can do what they love to do, which we did with my dad with, with his racing. You know, so that was that was a, a really wonderful blessing that, that we want to share with other people that you can still do what you love to do, even though you're dealing with these challenges. Um, and by providing free screenings and resources for people that are at risk, we can help the uh, the people that have COPD and don't know it, like what happened to my dad. He had it for years and didn't know it. Um, we, can, we can help them live better and live longer by getting an early diagnosis. So the, the CDC estimates there's 12 to 14 million Americans that have COPD and don't know it yet. Wow. So we're trying to reach those folks to help them have more time with their loved ones and let them know that when they let their passions in life inspire them, they can overcome great obstacles. So that's that's the crash course in, in where I'm at right now. <laughs> Man, that's uh, that's fascinating. And, and there's so many naturally follow-up questions and, and, and you know, light bulbs going off in my brain. Um, it, but help me, help me for, for those that don't maybe have the either direct experience with a family member or the the kind of technical knowledge or background from a, a medical perspective, what is COPD? So COPD stands for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. It's an umbrella term that covers a couple of different, uh, a couple of different diseases underneath it okay. for lack of a better way of explaining it. Um, one is emphysema. Most folks are, have heard of emphysema before. Uh, the other is chronic bronchitis. Uh, what, what they have in common is that they're both progressive, so they, they tend to increase over time for different reasons, and they, they, are, they don't go away, right? Mm. So it's, it's, it, move, you know, it, it increases in its severity, and it also uh, doesn't go away. Um, and both of those create an obstruction or a way that, uh, you know, that prevents air from sometimes getting in or sometimes you know, getting rid of carbon dioxide. So without getting too much into the technical aspects of it, that, that really kind of, you know, provides a, a, a overview of what COPD is. Yeah, that's helpful, man. And I just, I can't even imagine 12 to 14 million Americans who don't know that they have that. Like it's, that seems, that seems alarming in today's like very hyper kind of attentive medical community that, that feels like a huge number. It's interesting. Um, I, and I'm trying to remember that the, at a conference once someone said this to me that stuck with me. The good news is our respiratory systems are so robust that it takes a major decline in function before you realize something's wrong. The bad news is our respiratory systems are so robust that it takes a major decline in function before you realize mm -hmm. something's wrong. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why my, my dad didn't get diagnosed until he had already lost about half his lung function. Good night. Because you can you can easily rationalize it away as oh well I'm a little out of shape or oh well I need to lose some weight or oh well I'm getting older I guess you know maybe that's why I'm winded when I go up a flight of stairs and and all three of those things are false um, that should not affect your breathing so if I was to say one thing to the audience is listen if you're beginning to have trouble breathing go talk to your doctor yeah man no that's great uh, and and and, a, and a, a good healthy warning signal for sure um we're going to come back to the the work you're doing and and specifically with the right to breathe organization if you wouldn't mind like i think there's so many fascinating layers to your story um both from your relationship with your father to how the heck did you get to be a professional drag racer um, to other areas that we haven't even touched on yet? Like your, your, uh, your awesome rock star career. 
So w- w- if you would, walk us back to kind of the beginning. Where did you grow up and, and uh, what was childhood like for you? And, and then, you know, kind of weave us into the early stages of what you would call a career. So it's funny. Um, literally for as long as I can remember, I've loved drag racing. Huh. Um, and, you know, again, going to the track, you know, when, when I was a kid, um, you know, even watching it on TV, uh, when I, it's funny when I was 10 years old, I cut neighbor's lawns in order to buy my first go-kart. That's awesome. So I, I started at a very young age, just wanting to drive anything and everything I could. Um, I seem to have a, a, uh, a good relationship with machines somehow. It's kind of funny. Like they, they, uh, I, you know, I, I feel like it's one of those things that I was born to do. Um, <laughs> interesting. I don't know if I can describe that. It's just, I, I have a, uh, uh, an ability to feel what, what is happening with, with whatever it is I'm driving and, and can react to it. So, uh, so yeah, go-karts, um, mini bikes, motorcycles, uh, bought a, uh, <laughs> bought a 1969 Camaro when I was 15 years old in order to, you know, work on it and fix it up to have it, you know, by the time I got my license. That's awesome. uh, so, yeah. So it was as, as much as I could, um, as much as I could do, uh, it's funny. And even started tearing the go-kart apart to try to find ways of making it go faster. We used to, um, I actually at one point bought, um, like remote control aircraft fuel because, that's the same fuel, the blend of fuels that they use in this uh, top fuel nitro dragster that I drive now, nitromethane and methanol. And uh, I was using that fuel in the go kart on occasion That's to awesome. try to make it try to make it go faster. <laughs> like smoking your na- your buddies and just like that's great. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, that was really uh, you know I, I kind of grew up with a couple different things, right? The racing side of things, and and then you mentioned the music, so. Uh, dad was the race car driver. Mom's a guitar player and singer. So uh, that was another aspect of, of life that uh, that, you know, I, I really still love to this day. You know, I mean, it's uh, um, been a very uh, imp- music's been a very important part of my life. And it's funny, rock and roll and, and being a professional race car driver are way more alike than you'd think they would be. Mm. Um, you know, uh, music and improvising and music and, and it's a multi-sensory input. Um simultaneously and, and reacting to and improvising is really very similar to what's happening when you're driving a race car. So, uh, uh, kind of all of that has helped prepare me for, for, you know, where I am now growing up though, I, I really never thought it was possible for me to be able to actually become a pro driver. It, it takes so much money. It takes being in the right place at the right time. At least these were my, my impressions of, of what it would be. And, uh, just kind of thought, well, you know, look, as a, a kid growing up in a, in a blue collar family, like I was blessed with having such a wonderful family. Uh, but just thought, well, you know, that's, that's for people who are really lucky and really rich and, and happen to be, you know, mm. happen to be kids of professional racers. And so, eh, you know, maybe that'll just never happen. And, and so be it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that. Uh, I'm I'm writing down notes as you talk because I'm I'm reminded of a conversation, our, our conversation a couple weeks ago, where you, uh, I won't get the words exactly right, but you you referenced this concept that I think, at least it resonated with me. I don't know if it re- will resonate with everyone, but it resonated with me that you said a version of, hey, like somewhere along the way, we've we've bought this story that we can't actually kind of step into the full power and agency of our life and live, live the life that we're, you know, know, kind of destined or, or, uh, uh, equipped to live. And that we, we buy these stories, um, that, you know, are subconscious and cultural or from families or from whatever else. But the, the fact that like we, we almost hesitate to step into that, um, felt really, it connected to me, man. And, and I don't know if, if I, I got your words or even your intent right there, but I'd love to hear if I'm close. <laughs> yeah, you're right on the money. It's, it's an interesting thing. I think really our gifts and talents and the things that we love to do are, are little breadcrumbs to help us find our path to, 
to really what everyone's mission is here in life. And, and I am a firm believer that everybody's important. And, and, and while everybody's on their own journey, that, that everyone on this planet has an important role to play in, in life for all of us and, and living what your passion is, you know, so obviously with the, the, you know, the, <laughs> the idea that it's something constructive, for sure, you know, for sure. That that it's you know that that uh, that that passion in life is is actually to add something to society and, and to the people around you. Um, that those things really um, are are indicators of, of really where we should what we should do to live a fulfilling life, to live a happy life. Um, is and part of that is to contribute um, and to give back and to use our gifts and talents to make the world a better place. And there's there's no better feeling than that, than feeling like you're living on purpose, that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in order to to help the people around you and, and help the world. And and um, and growing up and going to school and, and you learn, it's like, oh, OK, well, I, I've got to be responsible. Well, yeah, that's true. You do. And and well, I have to I have to be able to make a living. Well, absolutely. That's true. But somehow along the way, we, we kind of our, – our creativity sometimes gets squished out of us. And, and sometimes the things that we, you know, we maybe feel like we should do or we're really passionate about, it's, you know, it's well, you know, that's just not a responsible way to make a living or, oh, you can't really do that. And, and people living their own stories kind of push that on, onto others, not meaning any harm. Right. But and, and, and ideally meaning to to protect that person that's that's maybe wanting to chase their dreams. So I hope I'm not talking in too much generalizations, but but I think that, um, number one, I, I'm blessed that that my parents encouraged me to do what I love to do. And I think part of that was, you know, the, the fact that my dad was kind of forced into being a plumber by his dad. And so he wanted to make sure that I had a better opportunity in life to do what I love to do. Um, and, and my mom encouraged me along the way as well, you know, while helping me understand that hard work is an important aspect of that um, and learning and growing, um, you know, as uh, as my parents set great examples of, of constantly, you know, doing their best um, to live their lives in, in a way in a way of meaning and purpose. So um, so I feel like I was lucky to have that, uh, but I think there, like you said, I think there's a lot of people out there that wish they could do what they want to do, and and don't think that it's possible. Um, and and again, like I said, I you know having been on that journey and having done what I felt like I had to do, um, even though it really wasn't what I love to do, um, and then woke up one day and and it's funny the the wake up call for that. Um, is an interesting story in and of itself. Um, my wife, Jen, and I have four kids. And when our third child was born, um, he had complications at birth. Um, his lungs were full of amniotic fluid. He almost died. They had, oh. to, they had to medevac him from Hunterdon Medical Center to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Oh. Um, I mean, it was just a, a, terrifying. a uh, terrifying experience. Thank God Brendan is 100% today. You'd never know he had such a rough start and spent, you know, 10 days in the uh, neonatal intensive care unit at CHOP in Philadelphia. But that at that point, I, I stopped and, and looked around my life and said, what am I doing? I'm, I'm not I'm not doing what I, I really feel like I should be doing. And I, I have these gifts of, you know, music and, and, and driving race cars and that sort of thing. But I'm not. I'm not pursuing it the way I really should. Um, and, and that was kind of the turning point where I stopped and said, you know, all right, enough is enough. Tomorrow's not guaranteed to anyone. And, and so it's time to start now to begin focusing on, on having the life that when, you know, when my time is up, I can turn around and say, you know what? Okay. I, I did the best I could with the gifts I was given. Um, and, and that, that kind of turning point really started me on the journey to, uh, to really, um, you know, take back hold of, of where my life was going and, and, uh, and start working at it. Man, that's, um, I'm so grateful you shared and, um, yeah, for just, I, I, I feel the, the, 
the story, man, because in, in many ways I resonate with it in my own journey of like that wake up kind of moment, which maybe we all experience at some point. I mean, we I joke, it's like, hey, is this my midlife crisis? Is this my awakening? <laughs> is this my like <laughs> enlightenment phase? Like, I, I, I really do think there's something to, um, if we pay attention to it long enough, this, this, you know, this kind of deep soul stirring call of like, Hey, wake up. <laughs> hey, step into it. Hey, turn the lights on. Um, and, and I, and I think that, I don't know, I, I don't want to get too philosophical and weird and, and spiritual on it, but like, I do think that that's, um, within and, and that that's a, that's a, a voice we've either numbed or quieted or shushed or shamed or, um, kept at bay because we are scared of what that looks like. And again, maybe I'm just speaking for me now, but like that, that moment where you kind of said, Oh, wait a second. Like life, life is this way. And my third child, my son may not make it. And like, I, <laughs> that, that's an alarming moment. Um, and, and I, I think my long winded way to the point or the question really is like, Yes, it was a moment, but then you 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 use the word journey from that point. I, I'd be curious to hear kind of what that journey looked like in terms of practical. It you didn't you didn't turn the lights on that day in the hospital and then had this awesome NHRA team and this nonprofit the next day, right? Like what what did the what did the journey start to look like for you? So it's it's interesting at, at that moment because um, you're right it, the. the describing it as a journey is exactly what it was because at that moment I didn't say I'm going to be a top fuel driver. Um, it, it was simply, I need to start really doing, you know, moving in the direction of where I feel I need to mm. go. Mm. Um, and, and so it was just taking that first May first, it was the realization. Then it was making the decision to move in that direction and then it was looking around and saying, well, where do I start? And, and where it started was I, I had a, um, a, a 1972 Nova that I had bought from my brother-in-law that I was in the process of kind of turning into a race car. So I was like, okay, well, let's get that project done. Um, and, and let's, you know, I just put myself into position to receive what, would be available. Mm. And again, that's, that really is kind of philosophical and out there. And I, and, and I don't know if that, that makes sense to people, but so, all right, the practical aspect of that was, you know, I was going to the races more often to talk with people that were at the track Love and it. to talk with, um, and, and as part of that, my dad and I were at, um, a, uh, NHGA event in New Jersey and, and we happened to meet up with a, a friend of my dad's, um, that we would talk to every once in a while. And, and this fellow's name was Mike Gillespie and Mike had just, um, Mike had a race car that wasn't finished and I had a race car that wasn't finished. So uh, we were joking. I said, Mike, you know what? Why don't I take my engine? We'll put it in your race car and let's go racing. And he said, great, let's do that. That's awesome. But so, so it's like, all right, well, all right, we've got a possibility. Well, interestingly enough, over the course of the next year, Mike inherited some money and went out and bought this really amazing, um, the type of race car you call it is called an altered. It used to stand for altered wheelbase, but I don't get into that whole description. I mean, we'll, we'll get way into weeds in that, but it, Mike bought this amazing race car, 1400 horsepower, you know, does the quarter mile in seven seconds, 185 miles an hour. And so I get a phone call. Well, actually, Mike called my dad first and said, hey, I got this car, and, and uh, what do you think? And, and my dad said, yeah, Joe should drive it. And so I get a phone call from Mike that said, you know, I want you, gotta, I want you guys to come up to the house and take a look at what I just bought. And so uh, we take a two-hour ride out to his house, and he opens the trailer door, and there's this unbelievable car. And he's like, I want you to drive it. I'm like, wow. Like, I, you know, had I not been at the track and had I not been intentionally trying to move forward, I don't think any of that would have happened. So, so here it is. I say yes, you know, to God, to the universe, to however you want to describe it. I, I'm going to say, say yes to God because that's what I believe. Absolutely. Sure. I, I, I said yes to 
the possibility that I can do what I feel like I should be doing. And then the doors began opening up. And again, that's not, you know, right. Someone could say that's incredibly good luck. And, and, and I think it is, it's a blessing. And at the same time, if, if you're not open to it, you could miss it, you know? And, and I think, so step one for someone who's, who's sitting back at home and saying, boy, you know, I'd really like to do, you know, whatever it is you want to do, right. You know, <clears throat> step one is being open to it and, and trying to put yourself in a position. Right. And then what, and then what comes next, you accept as a blessing and, and make your, and, and do the best to, to grow with what you have. And so the next step, so we began racing this car, which was amazing. Um, so then sadly, th- again, this was right when my dad was diagnosed with COPD. So, so here we are, my dad has CO now has COPD. We're racing with, with this guy, Mike, who's, you know, uh, trusted us to, to, to join with him and be part of this team. Mike had previously had cancer that was in remission. And then the cancer came back while we were starting to race. And, and so like, you know, it's like, Oh man, I, I can't believe this. Mm. So my first thought is, all right, so what can I do to be a good friend for Mike and how can we help him fight and beat cancer? So again, that was the beginning of using the race car, you know, motivate my dad, motivate Mike to, to stay healthy. Um, I connected Mike with uh, a fellow by the name of Jack Beckman, who's a pro drag racer. Um, and just Jack is a cancer survivor. And, uh, and so that was a big boost for Mike. Um, fast forward, sadly, uh, the, the cancer had progressed and, and Mike was starting to get really sick. Um, so I'm, I'm with him in the hospital. Um, I guess it was about a month before he passed away. And, uh, he said, listen, he said, we've been racing together for a couple of years now. Um, he said, you know, I'm, 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 divorced i I don't talk to my kids my brothers don't want anything to do with racing and and these race cars um because he had he had a you know a couple that were incomplete plus the car that we were racing he said look he said sell your car sell all the stuff you have put it into the estate and what i'm going to ask you to do is i'm going to ask you to liquidate everything else other than the car and the trailer because i want you and your dad to keep racing after i'm gone um, you know, and, and basically, so I kind of bought in a little bit to the team mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and then, you know, cause you know, at that point he said, look, he's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm like, come on, Mike, don't talk to me. He's like, no, no. He's like, that this, this is it. He's like, when I'm gone, I want you to have the car and keep racing. Um, so I, I named the team MPG racing for Mike Gillespie. That was his initials. Um, and I still have that to this day, actually the, the business entity that handles, uh, my racing career is, is called MPG Sports Marketing as a way to honor Mike. Because awesome. without Mike's without Mike's generosity, you know, we wouldn't be able to be where we are. And and so after that, um, we uh, we began using the race car for COPD awareness um, to honor my dad um, and to honor Mike. And uh, and and we were blessed to have a lot of success. Um, through relationships from being at the track and again, trying to put myself in position to be where I needed to be as much as possible, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. Um, and, and that, that led us to have a lot of success with the race car. And in 2011, we went to 14 races and won seven of them. Come on, won man. Champ- That's won the awesome. championship. Yeah, it was, uh, we raced with a group called the Northeast timing organization. It's a regional, um, uh, what they call a nostalgia racing group. So it's all cars that are, you know, pre-1975 i believe the rule was and um it was that success and and using the car to provide awareness for copd that caught the attention of a couple of different professional teams that got me on their radar Mm. um you know so it was again it was taking what what you would think would be a terrible setback or huge challenges accepting it as a blessing and then doing our best to to serve the people around us with it. I mean, a focus truly has always been how can I provide value to whatever situation I'm in and, and believing that everything else would work out. Um, and, and 
that really honestly has been the thought process that it, that has allowed things to progress. Um, I'm not taking credit for it. Um, truthfully, um, I, you know, again, my beliefs, right. So I, you know, I, I believe that, that, uh, you know, that, that God will bless that. Um, you know, fortunately (laughs) that's, that's the way the path has been. Um, but I do think that, you know, each year, um, you know, really since 2012 is when I really started a consistent effort to try to become a pro driver. And it, it's, you know, it's taken eight years and each year that we did not achieve the ultimate goal of, of getting to that point, I, I would look back on what did we do and I would try to work harder and smarter. Um, you know, just effort can be, you know, look, you can, you can work really hard and be spinning your wheels and go nowhere. Uh, but you know, you have to try to learn from what happened during the year. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, something my mom said to me years ago too, is, you know, work as if everything depends, depends on you and then have the faith as if everything depends on God. And you just, you, you, um, <laughs> you just keep moving forward. Yeah. You know, man, I love it. Do- Do- Donald Miller, who, who's, uh, who, who now runs story brand, which is a big marketing consulting, uh, branding kind of shop um he, he he used to in his previous life write a bunch of books and he blogged a bunch and whatnot and one of his blog posts um it was exactly what you just said he, he essentially uh and i'm sure others have done the same but he made the analogy of a farmer right like till your soil work your field and then sit on the porch drink a glass of sweet tea and pray for rain <laughs> like you, <laughs> you you can show up every day do the work till the field till the soil, work the field, plant the seed. Um, but you can't make it rain. None of us can make it rain. And, and, um, and having that faith to, to do your part, do your work. And, and, and that is the mystery of, of faith in many ways. Right. Um, but Holy cow, like th- so much you said there that I, that I want to like go back to and drill deeper into one was, um, your, your, was the timeline when, when your son was born, was that 2011? Is that what you said? No, it's funny. So, Brendan was born in 2005. 2005. Okay. Yep. So, so Brendan was born in, uh, on Father's Day, actually. Yeah. So Father's Day, June 19th, 2005. Um, that, that time when I went to the racetrack, um, was, was right around that same time. It was, it was shortly after that, um, after Brendan was back from the hospital. So the first time that I drove Mike's race car, was actually on Halloween in 2006. Got it. Got and it, got so it. then, and now Mike passed away in 2008. Um, Dad was diagnosed with COPD in 2006, though. So that was again same same time frame. And then and then, uh, so then so think about that, right? So, rate our first season racing with with the Nostalgia Club was 2007. Championship didn't Man. show up till 2011. And we, again, we had a lot of success and, and actually wound up in second place in 2012. Um, and it's funny, we would have repeated as champion if I would have showed up at one more race. Oh, we man. skipped two races. We skipped one race because my wife bought us concert tickets um, for Christmas the year before. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not giving that up to go to a race. And the other one was because I was coaching my son in football. That's awesome. So, so I'm not going to give that up either. So you know what? I'll gladly give up that championship because of spending time with family. Um, you know, because you, you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of that first. You know, that's always been the case. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting the way that timeline went. And then, like I said, 2012 was when I decided, okay, you know what? we've got something here. We've got success. Things are happening. People are noticing. Let's take the next step and, and really try to launch a pro career. Got it. Okay. So yeah, I, I got my dates wrong. So 11 was, was when the championship was. So it, 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 it's just, it's a fascinating perspective to, to hear it in, you know, August of 2020 when the lights, so to speak, um, went on in 2005 you 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 then immediately get like which i think I, th- I think the point i'm trying to make and highlight is this is how it goes the lights go on and then incredibly hard painful resistance comes to try to push you back into that life that you already thought you um wanted to escape right like you you're you're 
your best friend um, passes away of cancer, your dad gets diagnosed with COPD. Like th- those things all could have been met with like, well, damn it. Like this is too hard and it's not worth the, the risk of staying in the, you know, staying in the arena, so to speak is um, as Teddy Roosevelt called it, like that you're getting your face beat in. It's freaking hard. You're sweaty, you're bloody. Um, but the, the continued journey um, again, not that it always works out this way, but the continued journey, if people knew your August of 2020 story, they'd be like, oh, freaking Joe, like he's a pro, he's a top fuel guy and he's a pro racer and he's got this awesome, amazing life. And you're like, well, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Thanks. Right. Like, what, what do you say to that? Right. Like, I think, um, I'm, I'm being long winded now, but the, 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 the bow is like, it's 15 years and it's more than that even like it's this this long slog and and the the willingness for you it seems like and you've heard you a couple different times in a couple different ways the willingness to number one show up like to physically show up at the track and hang around people who are doing what you want to do is like mind-blowingly practical and true and then the and then the second piece and there's more, right? But the second piece is like your spirit was always around adding value, giving um, someone else, provide <laughs> provide help, raise money for cancer research, raise money for lung lung disease. Like this, like it's no wonder that that God and the universe and the and the 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 way the thing has unfolded has been for your good like it's just not that it's it's not that difficult yet it's like the hardest freaking thing in the world to do you know yeah there's there's um it's it's interesting you 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 brought up some really good points because there has been resistance that I've met there has been self-doubt of course Uh, there's been questioning like really you know you know, it, it's it's um, it's it's almost like everything shows up to to test your commitment. Um, and and uh, I I would keep thinking I I joke I'm like I'm just too dumb to quit. <laughs> you <laughs> know, right. um, but uh, you know along the way, you know it 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 really is. It like things come up, things come up, and and I was aware of that. Um, and, and aware of the fact that, that things are going to come up to get in the way. Um, and, and again, that whole process of, okay, learn, do something different, right? Because what is it? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? So if, you know, if, if plan A didn't work, well, then then let's go take the best of plan A and, and have plan B. And if mm. plan B doesn't work, well, let's take the best of plan A and B and go to plan C. The interesting thing that was another turning point, um, I was really, really, really frustrated and feeling beaten down in 2018. Um, financial difficulty. I mean, we were struggling to pay bills. Mm. Um, you know, I had had, I borrowed money from my parents um, to try to keep things afloat. I mean, we just like life was hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into too much into it, but, but life was hard. And, uh, and so I'm like, man, I, I, I'm out here and I feel like I'm losing constantly. Like every, <laughs> like, I feel like it's like, everything's a losing battle. And I'm like, all right, you know what I need? I need a win. I need a win to build momentum, to keep my mindset positive, to keep myself in the right direction. And, uh, I, I belong to a business group. Um, that's like a, a business referral group and it's an amazing group of people. And one of the folks in that group, um, was a, a gal by the name of Karen Minetti and Karen and her husband, Anthony have a gym, like a small boutique gym. And, uh, I had always said, you know, when I become a top fuel driver, I'm going to lose a little bit of weight and, mm. and I'm getting shape and I'm going to exercise. Now I, I, you know, look, I, my, I've been paying the bills with a sort of right paying the bills with a landscape business. And so, um, like, well, I do some physical work, but you know, I'm 20, 25 pounds overweight. Um, and they were having a fitness challenge and it was a body transformation challenge. And I decided, you know what? I need a win. I can do this. Mm. And it included, and it, so you had to buy in. And I'm like, here I am struggling for money. I got to <laughs> buy in. Yep. And it was like 1500 bucks. But if you win, it was $3,000. Boom. And so 
I'm like, you know what? Let's go. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Now, Right to Breathe, we had founded Right to Breathe uh, in 2014. So we had, we were just starting to have some success. So I figured, look, I'll, I'll pay myself back and I'll put a little bit of money into Right to Breathe if I win this thing. And uh, what I learned along the way, right, because my the decision was I'm not going to wait until I become a top fuel driver. I'm going to be a top fuel driver and the and the opportunity will come to me. Mm. And so that was the mindset shift. Is, OK, you know what? I'm a top fuel driver now. Like I didn't have a car. I did not have a team. I, I didn't have a team that agreed to put me in a car, but I was trying to come up with a huge amount of sponsorship money. Mm. In order to make that happen, and here I am, a guy that doesn't have a, 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 a you know any experience at that level, trying to get millions of dollars in sponsorship, and that's why I had been beating my head against the wall, sure. right? So I had this opportunity, but I couldn't make that opportunity happen. So the decision was, okay, I'm not going to keep trying to be a top fuel driver. I'm a top fuel driver, and top fuel drivers get in shape and they take care of themselves and they eat well, and and so. That's what I did. I joined the competition. Long story short, I won. Um, I lost 28 pounds in 12 weeks. Dude, um, you that's know, got awesome. Into the, got, got into the best shape of my life. I've managed to keep most of it off. I've, I've, I'm carrying around about, I, I was calling it the COVID-10. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that's dry, I, I'm getting that back now, too. I'm back on track. But, but one of the things that I learned from Anthony um, – who was the, you know, he's a bodybuilder. And, uh, and again, I wasn't trying to be ripped and, and be a big guy, but I was just trying to, you know, be healthier. Be a grown up, right? <laughs> um, right, exactly. And, and so Anthony has these three things that he says to folks that for him, it relates to fitness and taking care of yourself and, and getting in shape. And it's a three step process. First is believe in yourself. Second is trust the process. And third, is practice patience. And I'm like, man, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Because if you don't believe in yourself, you won't take the steps necessary to try to move forward. Right. Mm. Um, and if you're focused only on the outcome, like I was only focused on the goal, right? So when I wasn't accomplishing the goal, I was getting worn down. I, I was getting frustrated. I was getting, I was, you know, second guessing myself, but if you trust the process, then you're, then you're, the goal is, is actually the journey. The journey becomes the, right? So you build momentum. So, right. all right, you believe in yourself. You start taking steps. Well, once you're taking those steps, you focus on the steps. And then the last piece is key, practice patience. It's not going to show up as soon as you wanted it to. I mean, heck, when I decided in 2012, I really thought with what we had together, I thought I was going to be driving in top two by end of 2013, 2014 at the latest. It is six years later when it finally yeah. happened. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I was set to make my top fuel debut. COVID hit and racing shut down. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so, you know, here it was, you know, and, and at that point I had to laugh. I've got friends that are like, man, we can't, we feel so bad for you. I'm like, feel bad for me. I'm driving a top fuel car now. Yeah, I don't feel bad for me. I'm thanking God every minute because it finally happened. So, so it's interesting. It's been I mean, what a it's what an adventure, and and, and uh, you know, even in the midst of it, at times I was I, I was I chose to look at it as an adventure, mm. Um, mm. and and you know, again, it was a conscious decision. I mean, you really back to your your nature example and farming example. Um, you plant seeds, right? You pray for rain, but you got to weed the garden in the meantime. Yeah, that's right. You know, and if you don't if you don't weed the garden then those weeds are going to take over. And even if the rain comes, you're not going to get the harvest you want, mm. you know? So, so my, my idea of weeding the garden is main is safeguarding your mindset and, and safeguarding your, your attitude by consistently pulling out the thoughts that are not moving you in the direction where you need to go. Um, I mean, it's funny. I, I don't mind sharing it. Um, I, I mean, there were times where I was frustrated and, and I was, I was just, you know, I'd be, I'd be stressed out about something or something wasn't working out with work or things were getting delayed and I'd be driving in the car by myself. And honestly, I'd say out loud to myself, I'm a badass top fuel driver. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and it was just like, you know, and I'd laugh 
and I'd laugh at my own kind of silliness, but changing how I felt in that moment was key. So, so, you know, just, just doing something, a silly affirmation, you know, just to, just to, you know, just to actually make yourself feel better in the moment, you know, that's, that's weeding your mental garden right there. Man, dude, that's, that's gold. It is just gold. And I mean, you said so many insightful, awesome things along this journey here, even today, but, but that is gold, man. And it's not silly and it's not stupid. And it's, and it's, I I think this, like, um, uh, I, I don't know. I, the, 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 I'm struggling to, to the atrophy of our minds. I think <laughs> it is is such a um, prevalent, you know, especially in this era where like we're so distracted to consume and to scroll and to numb and to be like envious or jealous of someone else's life or or it, you know all this stuff like bubbles beneath the surface and we don't ever really say it out loud but it like it, for e- sure. it eats us up and it just drives us and and for you to have the like awareness and belief and mindset to say out loud like no man like i'm a badass top fuel driver uh <laughs> when, when you're in the midst of a of a struggle is just power man like it's just gold and 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 i'll get the i'll get the science wrong um or incomplete certainly but i listened to a fascinating podcast on uh rich rolls podcast and he interviewed a a neuroscientist yeah and and the the brain is just such an, a magnificent organism in and of itself and the mind and and he walked through this and he had this like really smart academic five-step thing about like how how beliefs and motivations and thoughts and all this stuff ends up in behavior and what what his his challenge or at least what I took from it was really similar to what you walked through with the fitness journey was the the we've we've gotten that backwards like it actually all starts with behavior and the, the way to impact thought and the way to impact motivation and the way to impact belief and these deep underlying things and to get those to be neuroplastic and change and evolve mm-hmm. is to like begin taking steps forward <laughs> like to, yeah. to say out loud, I'm a badass top fuel car driver, man. Cause I've, I've been eaten up by the same stuff of like the, the, the opposite of those affirmations that exist way below the surface are like, dude, you're a dumbass. Like you're a fraud. Like you don't even know what you're doing. Like you can't run this company. You have no, like that's what b- exists way below the surface and the fearful, shameful parts. But then you, when you say out loud, yeah, when you say out loud, like, holy crap, like I have what it takes to do this. Like it, that, that, that behavior starts to really impact the mind, the mind. And, and anyway, man, I, I'm, I'm so grateful you shared that. That's a, that's a courageous thing that you said out loud to yourself ah. and then to us and like, good job, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's, it's funny. You, you bring up a really good point. So many of us, myself included, you know, we, we walk around with like this imaginary, you know, baseball bat in our hands. And every time we do something that we, you know, that we're, we either wish we didn't or things don't work out. It's like you take that imaginary baseball bat and you hit yourself in the, in the head. And you think, you know, dummy, dummy, why'd you do that? You know, you, you know, you loser. And like, you know, listen, I, it's like I, I catch myself thinking that, and, and the first thing I do is like, all right, wait, whoa, no, cancel that, cancel that, let's let's turn that around. It's a constant battle, Absolutely. it truly is, and and um, I think the fact that you know I, I'm grateful that that we can share this, and hopefully other folks will will hear and 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 listen and just you know be like, listen, I, it's funny, um, we see things to ourselves that we would never dream of saying to another human being. Um, in a bad way, you know, I mean, we, we, we put ourselves down, um, in ways that we would never dream of saying to another person. So why would we do it to ourselves? You know, hundred percent, man, a hundred percent. Oh gosh, dang. I'm so, uh, I, I feel like I want to go another hour here and, and keep digging. <laughs> I, I would be, it would, it would be remiss of, of me and I'm sure our, our, the listeners are going, okay, cool, man. Like talk about top fuel. Cause that's awesome. Um, what, what does like you're, you're headed right now, not when folks will hear this, but in, in our live conversation, you're headed right now to a race. Like what does a, what's a race weekend look like? Um, what does like, what does top fuel professional driver 2020 after 
a 15-year, well, longer than that, but a specific 15-year journey to get behind that wheel on, on a race day? What's that look like? So uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it obviously it looks a little different right now because of uh, because of COVID guidelines sure, and, sure. and they have fewer fans and, and everybody's wearing masks. And we're doing all the proper precautions and, and um, physical distancing and all that stuff. You know, normally, look, we'll we'll see uh, uh, at an NHRA event. The pros typically run um, two qualifying se- sessions on Friday, two qualifying sessions on Sunday. And then the fastest 16 cars get to race on Sunday. Mm. So qualifying Friday, Saturday, race day, Sunday. Um, so it, it's uh, typically at, now the cool thing about drag racing, NHRA drag racing, every ticket's a pit pass. So fans can get right up um, near where the, the teams are working on the cars. So there's typically a lot of interaction. You get to sign autographs and, and talk to people in between. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, behind the scenes stuff that goes in. Like, you know, I'm, I'm actually bringing some, uh, some equipment for the car. I actually had to pick up some clutch discs and, and some other things like that that I'm bringing with me. So that's the, the non-glamorous side, right? So you've got, you've got the, the, you've got the business aspect of things, right? So, so heck we're talking right now, right? So that's all part of it. Um, the last race I was going to, I was doing a, uh, a video interview, um, for another show. So, so right. So you've got some of the media stuff, you've got the practical aspects of what does the car need and what's my responsibility to bring as a member of the team, because it's a team sport, man. Um, mm. you know, it's a, we completely disassemble these engines every time they run. So thousand foot pass down the track, these 10,000 horsepower beasts are so hard on equipment that you have to completely rebuild the engine That's after just one just one pass oh and by the way the this team of of people and i am not going to say guys because there are plenty of gals that do it too um you know nhra is is not not only uh gender diverse with men and women working on these cars and driving them and we've had female champions since the 70s with shirley muldowney but also you know folks working on the cars Uh, and it's it's ethnically diverse it's just a wonderful environment to be in so so you've got interaction with the fans you've got the the uh physical aspects of what does the car need what do we have to do um and then there's there's kind of like the behind the scenes media stuff and and it's really a balancing act of all of that so not only does the car do 300 miles an hour i feel like i'm doing 300 miles an hour the whole weekend sure Um, you know what's cool is is uh you know jen my wife is is here with me uh, my mom's with me too because we're doing right to breathe event and uh one of our uh, my good friends and our, our board member uh mike mccormick is here and and because we're doing right to breathe there and then two of our kids are, are in the rig in front of us <laughs> oh no so way. That, that, that's awesome that's a cool deal yeah yeah so we've got uh so there's the family aspect of it and the other neat thing is that the team and the other race teams kind of become like an extended family. So, so sure you've got all these fans and all this interaction and all this other stuff going on, but it really is a, uh, a family atmosphere, um, kind of throughout the whole thing, you know, and, and, uh, I'm grateful for that. I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, so then, you know, race day rolls around if you're one of the fastest 16 cars, it's single elimination. So what that means is, and it's kind of set up like a, uh, like, like the sweet 16, um, you know, in, uh, in college basketball, right? N- number 16 has to race number one, number two races, number 15, number three races, 14 and so on. So, um, so it's high pressure, high stress, um, because you have to perform yeah. or you're done, or you're done for the day. That's it. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, a um, it's, it's a wild thing. And, and it's funny. So just by way of comparison, it takes about a tenth of a second to blink your eye. Um, for the last race, we missed the field by three thousandths of a second. Oh so we wound gosh. up, we wound up number 17 on the outside looking in by what is that? What does that work out to? 3% of a blink of an eye? Oh that the way my that works? I think something like that. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's just unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and again, like I said, zero to a hundred miles an hour and eight tenths of a second inside the car, um, by eighth of a mile. So an eighth of a mile, is 660 feet. So you can kind of picture two football fields, end zone to end zone. Yeah. And, and at that point, 3.2 seconds 
already doing 265 miles an hour and still accelerating. That's insane. So, That's insane. Uh, yeah, that, that covers kind of a little bit of everything as far as what does, what does it look like on race day. And uh, it's challenging because even though you're in the car for a, a relatively short amount of time, um, you know, I've got to wear a fire suit sure. and all the safety equipment. And, uh, you know, when it's 90 degrees out and you're wearing, wearing a four-layer Nomex suit, imagine getting ski pants, a ski jacket on, putting a ski mask on, putting a helmet on, and sitting in the sun for, you know, for five or ten minutes waiting to drive a 10,000-horsepower car <laughs> and, then have, and then have to perform to within 3% of a blink of an eye. Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. This, it's wild. This is a this is the most ignorant racing question you've probably ever been asked. Do you, no such thing as a dumb question. <laughs> do you like do you like hammer the gas? Do you like what? How's how's it that like the green light hits? Like what's what's your move? What do you do? So so it's interesting. Um, it's nothing like what you would expect. And and different race cars. Um, I've been blessed to drive for a couple of different teams besides driving the car that I inherited from Mike. Uh, my good friend Rocky Perone has a couple of what they call nostalgic funny cars, which are, are similar to the way you drive a top fuel dragster. And I drove another car called the the 134 fuel coupe, which is a 1934 Ford that runs on that nitromethane fuel, and that's kind of similar. So here's how you you drive a top fuel car. It, it's um, on the starting line, so it's a, there's a clutch. So you have a, a clutch under your left foot, and the throttle pedal is by your right foot, and the, the brake is operated by your hand. So you have a hand brake. So in order to, to leave the starting line, what you do is you hold the hand brake and the clutch is pushed in um, and you you roll forward and a little light on the starting line lights, that we call it the Christmas tree, the top bulb comes on and that's called the pre-stage bulb. And that means you're seven inches before the starting line. So I wait for the other car to light their pre-stage bulb. Then what you do is you pull tight on the brake you push the fuel levers onto full because before that you're not even putting the full amount of fuel into the engine because these things between doing the burnout, backing up and doing the run will consume 17 gallons of fuel. Oh my gosh. It's unbelievable, right? So, so I pull tight on the brake, I put the fuel pumps on full and I let the clutch out and the clutch is slipping and I'm holding the car with the brake and I let it roll forward ever so gently seven inches until the stage light comes on, which has been light underneath the pre-stage bulb. Once the other car has got their stage light on, we wait to see three amber lights flash all at once. As soon as I see amber, I'm off the brake and standing on that throttle pedal as hard as I can. And, uh, and then I feel about five and a half G's pushing me back into the seat. Then as that clutch starts to lock up, it accelerates harder and pushes me six G's back into the seat. So if you can imagine, you leave the starting line, five G's, it's like a, a gorilla sitting on your chest. And then and then it accelerates harder. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. All the while trying to delicately balance the, the insanity that's happening outside the car with the finesse and the precise movements that have to happen inside the car as it's accelerating and, and unless someone's experienced it, I don't know if I could describe it. Um, the first time going way back to 2006, the first time I drove this car that does the quarter mile in seven seconds, 185 miles an hour. When I left the starting line, it accelerated so fast and I was so not ready for it that I was 200 feet down track before my brain said, Hey dummy, you're moving. Oh my gosh. So, oh my gosh. so things, things happen so quickly and and the top fuel car is is literally um exponentially you know um more than four times that acceleration <laughs> so so uh so yeah it's it's wild i mean there's just there just are no words to describe what that's like and and the thing is these engines are so loud you can actually feel it um there are some videos on youtube um, and oh gosh, I wish I could remember what the what the title was so people could search it up. But it's something like top fuel noise or sound. And there's a picture in the grandstands of a glass of soda or pop. And so and so what it shows is that if the image is on is watching the video is filling the soda and you hear the cars in the background. And when the cars leave the starting line, the soda kick, the, the cup actually moves and vibrates on the sand just from the sound concussions. 
so being in the car, it's not quite as loud in the car because the engine's behind me. Um, but but boy, let me tell you, it's it's just sensory overload all around. Not only for me in the in the car, but for the fans in the stands too. Yeah, that's man. real unbelievable. That's insane. What what to put it in comparison? Like what's what's the G force of a um, seven sixty seven? Uh, you know, it's funny. So, so jets are, jets are interesting. I, I think it's probably about two or so. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, really you, you got to figure it's, it's, it's three, three, at least, it's gotta be at least three to four times that, That's insane. um, in that, in order of magnitude. So, so yeah, it's, it's, um, and it, with a jet, it's interesting because a jet will start to accelerate. And then as more air comes into the engine, it makes more power. Um, and, and so it, it kind of, you know, when you, when you're in a jet ready to take off, you know, you can, you can feel it push you back into the seat and then, and then you feel a little more and then the thing takes off and, you know, and, and, and it's just a, a nice, a nice little ride after that. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's night and day. It's nowhere. It, it doesn't even come close. That's insane, man. I, I'm, I got goosebumps like sitting there hearing you tell that story. <laughs> you, you were born to do this, bro. It's awesome. Um, well, you, you've been in, insanely generous with your time and, and there's like, I, I still, I feel like there's a, a million questions I want to ask, but I'll, I'll, I'll resist my urge because <laughs> so you can get back to, your, to, <laughs> to race prep. Um, but we, we end the, the show the same way every time with five, five pretty straightforward questions. So, um, just first instinct that comes to your mind, and uh, no no answer is right or wrong. It's just yours. Gotcha. So, cool. uh, what's the last book that you either read or listened to? Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. Tell me about that. What's Captivate? Um, again, trying to learn and do better. It's about personal interactions between people. Huh. It's about learning learning how to communicate. Um, it's about understanding, learning how to, to understand other people so that we can, we can better communicate with them. It also kind of goes into not only interpersonal skills, but also, um, as a race car driver and as a guy who's looking to find sponsorships and to, and to bring funding to the race team, because we desperately need more funding for the race. Yeah. Um, it's, I need to be able to walk into a room and kind of and own it, so to speak. And that's not not in a selfish way, but I, but I, I need to be able to I need to be able to communicate what value we bring to the table so that we can serve a sponsor best. And mm-hmm. if I'm timid and standing in the corner and waiting for someone to talk to me, it'll never happen. So I need to be more out. Um, I don't want to say I need to be more outgoing, but I, I need. It was it was design, I read the book in order to learn how to communicate better and how to how to listen and learn from people better. Boom. I love it. Well, judging by today's interview, I think you're very captivating, my friend. <laughs> so, ah, thank uh, you. What, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? And you, uh, ev- other people, it. other people could say race drag race. <laughs> like, be. yeah, um, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I, I, I um, uh, it's funny. Um, you know what? I, I, Here's the answer. I, I I need to reach out to more potential sponsors. And and if I and I am uh, hey look, none of us likes to hear the word no. I've heard it a lot. Mm. I've heard it an awful lot. Me I, I mean nine ninety nine no's to one yes. So the answer is I need to go out and get more no's because every no gets me closer to yes. I'm with the goal of getting yes. All right. So I don't want to phrase that wrong. I'm not looking for no. I'm not looking for the answer. No, but I need to, I need to put myself out there more for sponsors. Yeah. So that's the answer. Yeah. Sponsorship's hard, man. Um, yeah, yep. that, well, that's a different conversation, but, uh, I'd love to have that <laughs> one with you. What, what's your favorite t-shirt? Uh, Oh, <laughs> I wish my wife could hear this. She would be laughing hysterically. She <laughs> accuses me of having too many t-shirts. I love t-shirts. Yours I have too? A bunch of, Damn. I ha- yeah, I have a bunch of wacky ones. Everything from, I have, uh, what's the character from the movie, The Sandlot? I have a shirt with the kid's face that says, you're killing me, Smalls. That's one of my favorite ones. Um, I have a, a, a picture with uh, 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 like a, like the Far Side cartoon, and it says John Lennon, Lennon's mom, and the caption says, all I'm saying is give peas a chance, and there's a little kid with the peas on his on his uh, high chair. <laughs> That's um, awesome. I have uh, – um, I've got a collection of T-shirts, and, and oh, goodness, I, that's, that's impossible to answer because I've got 
tons of wacky, silly puns. And, and uh, I'm a dork, man. I really am, and, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> As you should be. That's great. Uh, what's your favorite place on Earth? Uh, a location? Or, or I, I mean, I would say with my family, but... Um, that works. Yeah. If it's if it's if it's a location right now, it's it's the seat of that top fuel drive suit, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, it's been a long time coming and, and I'm so and I'm just I'm loving it, man. Man, that's awesome. Well said on both of those. All right. Last one. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, ideally. Uh, it's funny. How do I put that into one mm. really for 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 helping? right to breathe be able to help other people live better and live longer um that would be first um you know yeah i want to be remembered as a badass top fuel driver too (laughs) but 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 really really when it all comes down to it um you know i i want i want the people that i love to know that i love them fiercely and with all my being man that's all that's good dude so awesome where can people follow along in your story man so uh oh yeah i'm all over the place man so we have there i believe the youtube channel is just nitro joe morrison and that's new and we're we're adding content to that there's my facebook page um and facebook twitter and instagram um the professional pages are the chemical formula for nitro, which is CH3NO2, and then my name, Joe. So it's it's kind of a weird thing, and, and race fans know CH3NO2 is the chemical formula for nitro, and that's the fuel we run in this top fuel dragster, nitromethane. So CH3NO2 Joe, and that's Twitter, Instagram, and if you put that in Facebook, it, it'll, it'll come up as Nitro Joe Morris. And that was a awesome. I've gotten all kinds of nicknames over the years, and and uh, uh, they used to call me Smoking Joe, they call me Nitro Joe. Um, I was at one point they were calling me Double O Joe because that was um, my reaction time on the starting line is measured in in thousands of a second and uh and it would be point zero zero whatever and and i was typically very good on the starting line and and, uh and so that's where that nickname came from but nitro joe is the one that we're we're using at this point that uh that seems to be the one that i hear the most well you're putting that stuff in the go-kart back in the day so it fits man (laughs) well yeah and that's the thing and and it's and my goal was always to run either a a nitro powered top fuel dragster or or what they call a fuel funny car um, you know, which is like, you know, the fuel funny cars are like this, the second highest class, so to speak. The top fuel cars are the, the, the kings of the sport. So that's awesome. Yeah. My, my man, it's been a, a real treat and a pleasure. And, and, um, yeah, you, you have, uh, you have gifted us with your time today, my friend. Oh, I'm grateful for, for the invitation, the opportunity to be here and, and to, to share and, and, and our conversation back and forth and, and, uh, I really loved it, man. Thank you, Justin. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm glad to have been here and and uh, look forward to connecting with more folks. And uh, hey, you know, find me on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter. Send me a note. You know, I mean, I, I look at all that stuff. I don't I don't have a team of people, so to speak. I mean, I I do have some help with my social media, but but I make sure I see it all. So uh, we'd love to connect with folks. Yeah, man. We, we will we will put all that uh, in the show notes, including the right to breathe. Uh, org link and and um man you yeah you've been a real blessing my friend so good luck this weekend and thanks again for your time safe travels um and carry on my man thanks 